eyes aflame From foolish to wise We all bruise the same Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. All right, I see a few jerseys. That's great. I went neutral, San Diego State. All right. Yep. Yes, there we go. Yes. Um, full disclosure, I really don't watch sports. So um, people were asking me last night, because I wore this last night as well, efficiency. Not gross, it's just efficient. Um, uh, pe people ask me, hey, so you, who's, who are they playing today? I'm like, another team. I don't know. Where are they playing at? I'm not sure. Hey, did you hear they're doing the jersey thing for the guy? I'm like, yeah, the, the jersey thing they're doing. I don't know. They, like, retired Kawhi Leonard's jersey. I had no clue. He went to <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had no clue. So um, all that to say, make sure you know something about the team that you're repping, for sure. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, Super Bowl weekend, jersey weekend. Make sure you guys vote outside. But also, I decided to look online to see if I could find a few polls to see who people were voting for. So you have um, the people that are voting for the Chiefs or the 49ers. And then I found this one. There's the Chiefs and 49ers, and then people that are happy the Patriots aren't in the game. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There was a boo last service. They were like, boo! I'm like, well, that's just facts. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we're in a new series today called Cultivate, and it's all about relationships. And I love getting to kick it off all about relationships. We all need help in relationships. All of us. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all need relationship and we all can get better at it. If you don't know, I'll tell you. You can get better at relationships. I promise. So today we get to talk about relationships and I wanted to share one of uh, my relationships. One of my relationships that I cherish so much. And I know many of you already know what I'm talking about. My truck. Now. <laughs> This is my truck. She's a 61, yes, she, she's a 61 Ford F100, 4x4, yes, 4x4, in the original box. All matching numbers, those of you that are car guys and girls, you guys know what I'm talking about, exactly. Original 292 engine with the carburetor because it's not fuel injected. I don't have to worry about smog, um, so that always makes it great. There were drum brakes on the front, but now there's disc brakes because I like to stop, you know? <laughs> yes. So I have those on the front. Um, I, I make sure I just put headers on it. Uh, so before I had the, just the regular manifold, so now I have headers on it, so I get that nice little right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay, yeah, exactly. So I start it, I start it in the morning, and I hear it, but if I don't, if I hear I know that there's something wrong with the fuel air mixture, so I grab the only tools that you need when you have an old truck. You need a screwdriver, pliers, and a hammer. That's it. You can fix everything with that. For sure, because there's no computer. So just start hitting things and it'll work again, right? <laughs> so, and so then I can open up the hood and, and I get my screwdriver in there and start to change the fuel air mixer. Oh, and it's beautiful. And I, I check the oil all the time because I want to make sure that it's running well and that's running at its best capabilities. And you're thinking, oh, Marcus, how often do you check this oil? Are you thinking like once, twice a month? No, every single day. Yes. Why do I check it every day? Marcus, do you drive it every day? No, I don't. Leaks. But I check it every day. Yes, and it does leak. 
Thank you, Burley. <laughs> he knows. Yes, it leaks. And so underneath, underneath the truck, I have a map just to make sure my wife doesn't step in the oil because if she steps in the oil, it's going to bring it in the house and then both of us aren't happy, right? So I check the oil all the time. I make sure that everything sounds good. I reupholster the seat. I clean it. On my calendar on Fridays, I have four hours that are scheduled for me in my truck. I know you're thinking, Marcus, this is not cool. Well, hold on. I have my thing, you have yours. Maybe yours is shoes. You think of, think of your closet. If we went through all your closets and put them on the screen, you'd look just like me too, right? Maybe it's your clothes. You've got to have your clothes look in a certain way. It's got to be like this. I have to stand like this. Maybe it's bags. Maybe it's toys. Ladies and gentlemen, toys. Yep, those new Lego sets came out, right? Guitars. I saw you, Matt. Guitars. How many guitars do you have? Too many? Yeah, too many. Yep, exactly. Right? It, we, we find these things and we start to get, get so infatuated with them that we want them to be their best capabilities at all times. We often do it with things, but not people. Right? We, we cultivate and we try to make what we have better. But when it comes to the relationships we have, we sometimes miss it. So the question we're answering today is, how do we intentionally cultivate relationships that improve the quality and direction of our lives? Intentionally. Just like my truck needs gas, regular gas, because people ask me all the time, do you need old gas? No, that's not how it works. Not at all. I go to the 76 and I fill her up just like you would. Just like my truck needs gas to go, we need people because they actually fuel us. They give us the energy that we need. Now, as we're going to read shortly all about Paul, all through his life, he had interactions with people, some great, some not so great, but they continually encouraged him, even when he was in the darkest place, continued to encourage him to keep going. Now, I'm an introvert, which means I charge. <laughs> Someone said, woo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I'm an introvert, which means I charge um, usually by myself, right? Um, if you're an extrovert, that means when you hang out with people, you get a lot of energy. You're like, oh, yeah, that was amazing. For me, I hang out with a lot of people, and then I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm tired. So I'm an introvert. So it can be difficult for me to reach out to people in relationships, to call someone on the phone and be like, hey, Mike, um, you want to hang out? It's just weird as an adult. Hey, can you, can you come out and play? You know, it's different. <laughs> Right? So you have that, and I'm an introvert. It's just so much easier. Just, you know, I know how messed up I am. Right? I can deal with me. But then I bring other people into it, and then I got to smile, and I got to do this, and then I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know how to do it. But without relationships, I find myself feeling depleted. Like I don't have enough energy to keep going. In fact, God wired us for connectedness since the beginning of time. In fact, you know, when, when you're born, you're immediately attached. And then we get involved, we grow older, and then we, we find relationships and we attach ourselves. And then something happens in those relationships where someone hurts you or hurt me. And then we start pushing ourselves further and further away from relationships. Because we start to put on what we experienced on everyone else. You're just going to hurt me, or this is mine. I'm just going to hurt you, so I better keep my distance. Right? Healthy attachment has been something since the beginning of time that has helped us get better and better and look more and more like Jesus. 
you have healthy attachments, you have a healthy life every time. And when you don't, you don't. And the enemy of this connectedness is isolation. Introvert? Yes. Or extrovert? You can isolate by allowing everyone else in, but never giving them your real self. We're wired for connectedness. I love this in Ephesians. This is Paul, again, speaking to a church. He says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Paul is speaking to the church of Ephesus, and he's letting them know, this is how it works. We are one body, unified by Jesus Christ to accomplish his purposes. That's the goal and vision and mission of every church, that we'd fit together perfectly, doing our own work. And I, I want to just read a couple verses before we jump in. In Ephesians 4, this is Paul, he's in prison again, typical Paul. <laughs> I'll tell you why, we're in the in place we're reading, I'll tell you why he's in prison. Chapter 4, Ephesians, as, as a prisoner of the Lord... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then these three things is what we need. Be completely humble, gentle, and patient, bearing with another, with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul in prison. I'm sure he had some time to think. You know what we need? More humility. That's our work. As each part does its own special work, it's that humility, that understanding that, okay, I can't walk into a room and say, hey, guys, I'm the smartest person in here. Who wants to be my friend? That's not going to work out. If you're doing that, we'll talk afterwards. <laughs> and he goes on, gentleness, that's genuine concern for the best of other people. If you walk in, hey, guess what? I'm the best person in here. I'm the smartest person in here. Also, I don't care if your life gets better or not. Yeah, we need to be gentle. And then we need to be patient, because if you have kids or friends or any type of relationship, you know there needs to be some patience, because we're people, and we're going to do something wrong eventually. If you are in a relationship, whether it's a friendship, a marriage, anything, where you haven't been hurt yet, they may be Jesus, because I have no clue how else. We're eventually going to hurt each other. Paul is saying we are uniquely fit for each other. Write this down, like Legos, right? We're uniquely fit, unified as one, but at the same time, we're fragmented as many. I'll say it again, unified as one, fragmented as many. All of us have our own things that we're dealing with, that we're going through. And when we're unified, we can still accomplish what God plans to do, bringing heaven to earth. So if this is what we're supposed to look like, how do we get there? In all of our relationships, this is what the church should look like, but this is what all of our relationships should look like. How do we get there? We start by prioritizing God's design for relational living. That word prioritize, we think, okay, my calendar, this is what my calendar looks like, here's what I'm supposed to do. I like asking the question, what gets my time, who gets my time? Also, who gets my best? What gets my best? I know after a long day of work, and yes, many of us work here at New Break, and I'm thinking, oh man, it's all Christian people and everything's so great. We're still broken humans. 
I can still say something and be like, hey, that's not going to work. And people are like, what do you mean? Yes, I know. I'm sorry. I said something wrong. It still happens. So after a long day, I'll get home and I'll get into what I believe is going to be in heaven, recliners. I get into a recliner, you know, put that bad boy back, and I'm just chilling, zoned out. Me and Nikki get home about the same time, and she's like, hey, babe, how's work? And I'm like, man, it was a long day. She's like, yeah. So she starts talking to me, and I'm just like, ah, yeah, mm-hmm. Who gets your best? Church, I love you, but I love my wife more. I'm sorry. She deserves my best. All of me. Prioritize that that's God's design. In fact, this is Jesus responding to a few people that asked him, hey, what's the greatest commandment? What are we supposed to do if we're supposed to look more and more like you? You know, we know this law thing, but what are we supposed to do? And he responds to them by reciting the Shema out of Deuteronomy 6 something that they would have prayed regularly twice a day. He says this, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul. And they would have understood that so far. And then he says, And your mind. That part is not in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Essentially what he's saying, it's going to take all of your understanding. Every part of your understanding. You need your mind and your strength. And the second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. That can be difficult for us. When you love your neighbor as yourself, in, in that last sentence there, if you take out the neighbor part, it says love yourself. Some of us need to learn how to do that well. It's very difficult to love other people when we're at war with ourselves. You know how I read that for me? Is, folks, it's not your job to like me, it's mine. It's my job to love you and care for you. It's also my job to do the work that I need to, to find how God loves me in such a way that he would send a son, that he would die on a cross, die a sinner's death, and then raise on the third day. Once I begin to understand that, I learn that I am worthy of being loved, and I am worthy of giving love and receiving love. When that happens, I begin to love others. Once I see Jesus Christ working in my life, giving me grace where I need it, Encouraging me, encouraging me when I need it, that's when I can love others. God never created us to be lone rangers. Does anyone remember that, Lone Ranger, from the show? Do you guys remember his sidekick? What was his name? Tonto. Do you know what that means in Spanish? Stupid. <laughs> yeah, no one talks about that. They're like, he had a good friend, did he? Don't have a tonto. Have somebody in your life that is a little bit smarter, that is walking alongside of you, that is willing to walk with you at all times. God didn't, God didn't create us to be like this. Han Solo, who does he have? Chewie. I found that out on Thursday. I didn't know that. I, I'm not a Star Wars guy, but made it relative. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I love this. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Wait, okay, so there was, in the beginning, God. God created, and then there was Adam. Adam didn't say, it's not suitable for me to be alone. God did. Maybe we've missed it. You're right. In our own minds, we can do it on our own. But I've learned, and the Bible says it over and over again, that God is smarter than I am. And for him to see Adam and say, we need a suitable helper for you. 
what other helper would you need other than God? Well, God is the superior helper. And then so God says this, and then he creates? No, animals. Animals. Yep, read it again. Yes. God says, not good for man to be alone, so we're going to put some dogs and cats down there and see what happens. And then he gives him responsibility before he gives him relationship because he needs to know his worth. He says, all right, Adam, I need you to name all of these animals, which would have been a terrible job. I've always wondered, do we still use those names or have we changed it, you know? Did Adam really say monkey? I can't imagine him saying monkey. He gives him that responsibility before relationship so he can see his worth. And then he realizes, if you read on, Adam, God says, Adam didn't find a suitable helper. Well, yeah, because they were animals. So there's a superior helper, which is God. There's the inferior helper, which is the animals. And then comes Eve, the equivalent helper. Since the beginning of time, we have been wired to have equivalent helpers in our lives. Do we have that around us? Or have we continually thought that we can do this by ourselves? If that's you, I'm here to tell you that's not going to work. I've tried it many times. So we prioritize what God plans for our relationships to look like. And then we have to lean into these relationships that are actually going to fuel us, empower us, and encourage us. Those are the relationships we need to have. Now, if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm going to give some backstory. This is Paul and Silas. They're writing back to the Corinthian church, letting them know what they're going through. They're in prison because in Acts 16... Paul has this vision of someone in Macedonia crying out that someone would come and bring God to them, bring salvation to them. So they do, they head to Macedonia, and then while they're there bringing the word, there is this fortune teller who is also a slave girl who's owned by other people. And whenever she would tell a fortune, people would pay her, and then the owners of her would take the money. And she's walking around, and then she starts walking with Paul and Silas and everyone else that's there, and, and she's saying, hey, these are some people that worship the Most High God. She's not talking about the God. She's talking about a God. These are some people that worship a God. You guys should, uh, they're trying to get you to follow that God. And I can imagine Paul saying, no, 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 you, you have it all wrong. We're not worshiping a God. We are worshiping the God. And at that time, they, they were polytheistic, many gods. So I can imagine her being like, okay, you worship whatever god you want. There's always room for another one. And hey, guys, we're going to worship some gods, and they're worshiping a god, so why don't you ha- hang out with them? And Paul and Silas are like, no, you're, you're not getting it. And they keep, she keeps doing this. And the Bible says day after day she was just pestering them. And finally, it got under Paul's skin, which I like seeing in the Bible that there's red people, right? <laughs> Paul turns around and says, anything in you that's not of God, get out. She loses that power to then be able to fortune tell because of the spirit that was evil that was in her. And because of that, the people that owned her weren't able to make the money. That's why they got mad, and that's why Paul and Silas were sent to prison. In the midst of their willingness to lean on God, lean on their relationship with each other, and to give someone freedom from bondage, The people that owned her said, well, now we can't make money, so you should go to prison. 
That's where we get to jump in. So if you're with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. For when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, harassed at every turn. Now you see why he's saying this. Then he says this, conflicts on the inside, fears within. Before, before we read on, if, if you've ever been there, conflicts on the outside, fears within. Walking in darkness, you feel like you're walking in quicksand, you, you can't get one step ahead, you feel like you're taking five steps back, you feel like you're trying to do everything right, but nothing you do is right, everything is wrong. You feel like you're trying to treat the people around you right, but you're not doing it well, and, and you're trying to say the right things, but it's always the wrong thing. Think of that emotion, what that felt like, and let's place ourselves in Paul's position just for a moment, because if we don't get that understanding, we'll miss the next part that he says. Then he goes on, verse 6, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow and your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. <laughs> you see, if we, we understand that Paul is in prison, but what we may forget is that 1 Corinthians was a letter of correction. In fact, in one of the verses in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, in this next portion, I have no praise for you because your gatherings do more harm than good. It was a letter of correction. And he goes on in, in chapter 13, the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. He's telling them, hey, you are a church that should be filled with love and you are not. So let me tell you what love is. So he gives them that letter of correction now you understand in 2 Corinthians when he's like, uh, I'm blown away that you guys are still talking to me. This is unreal. And you're encouraging me still? And you're encouraging Titus? Then he goes on in verse 13. By all of this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I love how God met Paul's need through relationships. God often does it that way, even when we don't know. We don't know what we need, but God meets the need. Mind you, this is not Paul being needy. It's not Paul saying, oh man, I just need a friend. I need some friends. I need some friends. This is Paul saying, all right, God, I'm in prison for doing your work. That fully doesn't make sense to me but I'm going to let you handle it. There's a difference between being needy and allowing God to meet all of your needs. I would pray that we become a people that allows God to meet every single one of our needs. It says, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us. See, earlier in this chapter, earlier in this, in this book, 2 Corinthians, Paul told them and he wrote, he said, this is the God of all comfort. Church, if you hear nothing else today, know that he is an amazing comforter. Whatever you're going through, whatever prison you may be in, whatever things you may be dealing with, whatever the mindset is, whatever the, the images that you see in the mirror that causes you nearly to shut everyone else out and not see the real you, God can comfort you. Again, it takes us allowing him to meet our needs. 
even when we don't know what they are. In other words, if God meets our needs through relationships, relationships aren't optional. Introvert, Marcus, extrovert, anyone else? <laughs> relationships aren't, aren't optional. Healthy relationships are something that will propel your life like never before. And if you don't have them, there's going to be a need that you're not sure what it is. And you're going to be missing it. And God is going to be telling you, I'm answering that prayer. I'm already answering that prayer. But I need you to go to coffee with that person so they can tell you what I'm trying to tell you. See, when I, before I moved here, I lived in Madeira. It's a small town just past Fresno. Um, so if you drive here about six hours, that's about Madeira. Just pass over the grapevine, smell the cows, drive for two more hours. That's Madeira. <laughs> So I'm, I'm living in Madeira, I'm at a church plant, and I'm loving it. I love, if you know me, I just love church plants because there's just this energy that everyone gets so excited. Marcus, I, I can't tell you what happened, Pastor Marcus, there was 50 people there last night. And I know for us, you're thinking, oh, that's, that's, not, that's not that many. In a town that small, it was a lot. And it's amazing to see the people just grow from nothing into something when they feel like they have no worth, and then they finally realize that God loves them and God is able to meet them. One of the things I love doing, we lived in a farming, uh, a farming culture, and we, we had secret church at 3 o'clock in the morning before the people went out to the fields. And it was amazing to see them. They wouldn't come to church on Sunday because they had to work. They couldn't do a Saturday night service because that was the one night a week they'd get there with their family. So we did a Tuesday morning service at 3 a.m. Oh, man, there was nothing like it to see people ready to go to work and ready to receive whatever God had. Oh, it was amazing. And so I'm in Madeira and loving what's happening there, and then I get a call from Newbreak. Hey, we're looking for, you know, we have this position and everything. And I was like, well, I mean, come on. I'm, this is church planning. This is amazing. No, I'm good. Newbreak calls again. Like, look, I just, I, I don't feel released. I'm, I'm all right. And a couple months later, I call Newbreak. Say, hey, remember how we were talking? <laughs> Are we still talking? I remember right on this platform, I led worship for the first time, and many of you were there and wondering, are we hiring a new worship guy? What is happening? What are we doing? And I led worship, and right after service, one of the pastors in the back said, hey, we'd love to offer you the position. How soon can you start? And I was like, oh, uh, I guess pretty soon. We'll figure that out. So I move everything down here, move the family, and we're ready to go, and I'm wearing cargo pants. Yep. Those of you who know San Diego, that's a no-no, apparently. I didn't know this. I'm wearing cargo pants and cargo shorts. It's extremely convenient. I can go anywhere. I have my wallet here. I don't have to sit on it. My keys are in this pocket. I don't have to sit on those either. I had a knife every single day. Why? It was normal up there, you know? It's what we did. I come down here, like, Mark, no more cargo. No more cargo shorts. Come on. Like, I don't know where to buy pants without pockets like that, you know? And they're like, I was like, I just shop at Walmart. They're like, you shop at Walmart? Yes, and I still do. That's where I got this, by the way. Yes. I, I didn't know. Hey, Marcus, let's go surfing. Let's, I, don't, I don't know how to do any of this. What, what are you talking about? I was afraid of San Diego because I didn't know what the culture was like. So I came here, and many of you met the need that I had. Hey, Marcus, let's get together. And then there's the San Diego language. 
Now, in Madeira, when we said, you want to go get some coffee, we would go to the gas station, pilot truck stop, and you'd get this sludge, and it was amazing. Keep you up for three days. It was awesome. So I come down here, and everyone's like, hey, do you want to get some coffee? And I'm like, yeah, sure. He's like, let's go to Starbucks. They're like, no, we're talking real coffee. I said, what? What is real coffee? And they go, there's an Italian bistro right down there. I was like, what are you talking about? Give me some espresso, make sure it's black, and I'm good. You guys met a need that I didn't even know I had. <laughs> real coffee. That's how God meets our needs, often through relationships. And if we let him move in how he normally does, it changes us. And then we have to recognize this exponential potential of encouragement. Notice Paul is saying, hey, I'm not just encouraged in addition to what you guys are doing, but you guys sent Titus, and you're encouraging him. So you encouraged him, now that's encouraging me, and I want to encourage you. It's this ripple effect that happens. It's amazing to see when it happens. John 13, 35, Jesus tells the disciples, this is how they will know that you are mine, by how you love. And it's that type of love that is so encouraging for the rest of the world. Beyond these four walls, when they see that type of love, it's an encouragement that's beyond words. Now, if you've ever encouraged somebody, you know what happens. They're just sitting there and you start talking to them and they're like, oh my gosh. And if you're like me, I'm like, oh, thanks. Thanks, it wasn't that good, but all right, thanks, you know. Try reinforcing with encouragement. Wives, you want your husband to take out the trash? Next time they take out the trash, hey, thanks so much for taking out the trash. Can we do a date night and go wherever you want for dinner? What? You mean really wherever I want, or am I going to say something you're saying, no, not there, somewhere else? <laughs> no, let us choose, right? Parents, encourage your kids. Next time they have that conversation that was so difficult for them to have with you, when they share something that was so shameful for them, and you say, thank you so much for being real and being honest. I know it was difficult, and I know that we're not perfect, but this is what I want our relationship to look like. When you're real like this, I can be real too. Just know that I may be a parent, but I'm not perfect. And watch your relationship begin to grow stronger and stronger with your friends. Next time you have a real conversation, I mean a real one, not like who won the game last night, and I have no clue what I'm talking about. I mean a real one where maybe you were slightly offended, but it was something you needed to hear, you look at them and you say, thank you for telling me one of my flaws, one of my blind spots, because I really needed to know that. And watch the people in your inner circle that you get to choose who they are. Watch the people in your inner circle begin to be so real with you that the next time they tell you something that you need to change, that you're like, oh yeah, totally fine. They're like, I'm sorry. No, 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 no need to be sorry. Thank you so much. This is how we should live. This is what Paul is saying. We fit together perfectly. And when we do it well, we're working together in love. And we're giving it to everyone. And then lastly, this is a difficult one for us. It's embrace vulnerability. Now, I know when we see vulnerability as the on-ramp for authentic relationships, it can be difficult for us. And what do you, what do you mean, vulnerability? I mean vulnerability. 
Now, I, I was raised that you needed to be brave, you need to be courageous, you need to be really strong, you need to move forward. Don't let anything stop you. Keep going. And I also learned that I also was taught that vulnerability was a weakness. Hey, man, don't be real. Just keep pushing. It's going to be all right. Just keep going. I mean, that's, that's what everyone taught me. There's a woman named Brene Brown who studies shame and vulnerability. And she says, vulnerability is not weakness. It's having the courage to show up even when you can't control the outcome. Wow. It's sharing your greatest dreams and your greatest weakness. I remember when I felt called into ministry to share that when both my parents had businesses to share that I want to be a pastor. What are you talking about? Yeah, and I knew that my life didn't look pastoral. So things I was doing, you don't do on the platform, you know? That just wasn't how it went. So I want to be a pastor. I remember telling it to one of my first pastors, Pastor Ward. I think I'm, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor. <laughs> I don't know. And I was young and um. He said, well, Marcus, let's figure out what we do next. I was sharing one of my greatest dreams in the midst of one of my greatest weaknesses. And one of my true most vulnerable moments, I feel like happened in this room. Uh, before I moved here, I was previously married, and me and my then-wife moved down here. And it was a new place, it was new everything, and I just didn't know. And you, ha you have to know, before, before we moved down here, I really, really love work. I still do. It's something I'm working on. I'm a workaholic, and I'm, I'm trying to recover. <laughs> I am. But I love working. I do. And, and I used to work for Chick-fil-A, and I was getting ready to open a Chick-fil-A, so I'd fly to Atlanta, and then I'd come back and do other things, and come back and have to do this, and go to a different store, and teach them how to do this and that. And I was getting ready to open it, and I'm like, man, this is going to be like a great dream for me. And I remember telling people, you, you're helping plan a church, but you're trying to open a Chick-fil-A. I don't, I don't get Marcus. What do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't I, I love business. I don't know. Let's just go. And I just loved work. And so I wasn't present at home. I asked who gets your best? What gets your best? My best was not coming home. And what happened is I didn't feel I was receiving love, so I stopped giving it. And I never let anyone else in. I mean, we had some friends, but I mean, they didn't know the things going on. And I remember a Friday night, I see my then-wife, I see her turn her back, walk out the door, and the door slam behind, and something within me said, this is, this is the last time. It's the last time you'll see him. And the pain of knowing that. And so I stand on the platform the Saturday after, I mean, it was Friday night that happened, we're on like midnight. Saturday, 5 p.m. service comes. I lead worship. And one of the songs was, I surrender. Here I am, down on my knees again, surrendering all. 
God, I surrender. And I could barely even make it through the song, let alone the service. And then a few of us go into the back room just to kind of debrief service. We always like to figure out how we can make things better. Pastor Mike's back there. And as he's talking about the service, how we can, you know, what we can work on, what went well, what, what, what we can work on. And I said, Pastor Mike, I got, I got to tell you something. I said, I don't know what this means for me at Newbreak. The reality is, yes, I have a sheet of paper that says I'm a pastor, but I'm still broken. I'm going through a really difficult time right now. So I said, Pastor Mike, I don't know what it means for me at Newbreak, me and my job, me and being a pastor. Because you know, you know what was the issue was not what happened, but simply the fact that I was about to get really, really real. I said, Pastor Mike, my wife left me. Whatever that means, I don't know what's next. I just, I have nothing. He looks at me and goes, Marcus, we're family. We do this together. Church, those words, I will never forget those words. And church, that's what I say to you today. Church, we're family. We do this together. No matter how messy it gets, we do this together. Those of you know that know the pain that I experienced with something like that and just the many details and the pain. Those of you that were there, oh, you met a need that I have, I, I will spend the rest of my life saying thank you for. Because I know that I came to Newbreak to definitely share in this community, but also to be encouraged by every single one of you, and I am daily. Thank you so much. So when that happens, me and Pastor Mike have some real talks, as it should be. And it takes two to tango. It always takes two to tango. If you've ever experienced divorce, it takes two to tango. No matter how wrong you feel, or how wronged you feel, it takes two to tango. Me and Pastor Mike had some tough conversations and moved on well and got involved again in therapy. And I said, all right, Lord, I love work too much. <laughs> I'm just going to be married to ministry. That's it. Have you ever made that kind of like, a, you know, a bid with God? God, don't you be married to ministry? And I'll, I'll be good. I'll be good. Yeah, you're good. I'm good. Okay, cool. Let's move on. And then in walks Nikki. <laughs> Man, she walked into the room and I was like, oh God, come on now. We had a deal. You, you're going to break it just as much as I did because you didn't have to have her come here. She walks in. And then I, and what's so funny with vulnerability is when you're vulnerable, you get to be your real self. You don't have to put on some type of facade, some type of mask. So I was still kind of like walking through that and figuring that out. This is a few years after, a few years after the divorce. <coughs> And I, I say, hey, um, would you want to, I found out when her birthday was, and I was like, hey, which was like two months later, I say, hey, um, would you want to go out for your, like, your birthday, I'll take you to dinner, and she's like, um, my birthday, and I'm like, yeah, it'd be like a, 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 a date, and she's like, yeah, sure, and I was like, okay, bye, <laughs> right, 
so I walk away. True story. Please ask her to tell you. It's hilarious. So I asked her, we go on a date, and I take her to this really expensive steak place. I say really expensive because it was like a once-in-a-lifetime thing for me. Here's what happened. We sit down, and they start talking about aged meat. I don't know what that means. I still don't. I don't need to. That doesn't sound good. I feel like meat should be fresh, you know? I don't know why it's aged. It's not a fine wine. That's really strange for me. And they're like, it's aged, and it's and foie I'm like, what does that even mean? Speak English, please. And so we're, we're there, and me and Nikki both order salmon, because we're like, <laughs> I know what the age, at a steakhouse, yes, of course. And we sit down, and I look at her, she's sitting across from me, and I say, hey, I got to tell you something. She goes, yeah, I said, I'm divorced. I like work a lot. I know I'm called to be a pastor. I'm definitely called to be a good husband. I don't want to do that. And I wouldn't be on this date if there wasn't going to be a future for us. So I just want to let you know, that's where I'm at. <laughs> she, looks, she looks across the table and says, well, good thing you said that because I'm in the same boat. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be here if I didn't expect something in the future either. And I was like, okay, all right. So then I just did an awesome move and proposed to her on the beach, on horseback, on the news. It was awesome. And man, it's been an amazing ride ever since. You know what we've done is we've let people in. We go to marital therapy to let people in. We have friends that we let in, like you get to know. Yeah, when it's a tough day, it's a tough day. When it's not, it's not. And man, it has been a beautiful year and a half. It's this beautiful woman. When I thought that I was in this prison that I couldn't get out of, God said, I'm going to meet a need, but I need you to be whole and complete yourself, Marcus. So I need you to focus only on me. And so I did, and I tried, and I failed sometimes. And then, man, when she showed up, which many of you knew her because she grew up in this church, oh, man. I refuse to be a pastor that talks about vulnerability and doesn't get vulnerable. Church, I would pray this would be so natural for us that vulnerability becomes our language. It's in our mission statement, connecting people with God through authentic relationships to serve communities. Let us be authentic with each other. Let us be real. Paul later on writes in Philippians, Church of Philippi, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And every one of you that shared in my troubles, I thank you because it was good for me. And I would pray that would be encouraging to you as well. So where do we go from here? We're, we're getting vulnerable. We're talking to each other. We're telling each other these real things. We're in a relationship where I'm saying, God, I need you at the center, but I want to be real with the people around me. I want them to be encouraging. I want to be encouraged by them. I want to encourage them. God, what do I do? Well, we have to figure out what relationships we need to focus on. Maybe it's your relationship with God. Getting his word into your heart so it changes your life. I invite you to join us. You can go to the Blue Tent. And we're on the YouVersion app. 
and we're in a devotional right now called Interconnected, all about relationships. Join us. It'll be just part of your day. And you can post in, in the talk it over section and just share what you're going through, share how we can pray. Maybe it's your family responding to that question, who and what gets your best? Who gets your time? What gets your time? What are you busy about? And your friends, we have 21 meals every single week. I would encourage you to have one of them with one of your friends. Also, one of them with somebody that you would like to become your friend. And maybe one more with somebody that doesn't know Jesus yet. Maybe, maybe it's joining a life group because you need to let people in. We just started life groups last week. It is not too late. We just had DYP, and it was so awesome to have people be real in DYP and talk about real things. Oh, it was amazing. It's not too late. Our students are in life groups where they're real. They talk about real things going on from 6th grade to 12th grade. Real things. Our kids' ministry has life groups where kids who are going through things from kindergarten all the way to 5th grade Things that maybe you don't even know exist. But church, I'd encourage you to listen. Maybe you can need to get involved in a life group. Maybe you need to serve as a life group leader to one of these in the next generation. Maybe it's your coworkers. Why don't you get vulnerable with them and let them know in the next three years that you would like to be the CEO of the company that you're at. Share your biggest dream. Share with them that, hey, in, in three years, I would like to begin my own business doing exactly what this company is doing. Let them know. I'm going to school and I want to be a nurse. Let people know. Let them know I started a business and it failed, so I'm going to start another one. Get real. And mentors, find people ahead of you that can lead you, that can encourage you. Find a therapist that can listen and teach you how to listen. One of the things I'm learning is that when Nikki comes home and wants to talk about work, she doesn't need me to fix it. I like to fix it. Any fixers in the room? Yeah. She's like, hey, this is what happened at work. I'm like, well, I'll go to work right now. We can handle this. She <laughs> goes, no. So I learned in therapy, I just need to sit, wrap my arm around her, and as she talks, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't believe Becky said that. <laughs> wow. You're right. That is wrong. Find a mentor. Find someone that can listen and then give you a perspective that you would have missed. So where do we go from here? same place we started. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you and we need you in our relationships. We need to have a relationship with you. Understanding that the more we find you and how you love us, the more we begin to love ourselves so we can love others. God, you meant it when you said it, love your neighbor as yourself. Teach us how to love you and receive the love that you give to us so we can give it to others. Father, we thank you and we love you. We give you our relationships. We ask you that you would be welcome and present in every single one of them. Teach us how to love like you love. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand.